Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. Uh, I want to welcome all of you here tonight and, and have you turn, please, to Hebrews chapter 10 as we are, wow, we are on the descent in this book, coming to Hebrews chapter 10. So much great truth that we've covered in this uh, short amount of time. Uh, the, this marvelous, marvelous book that has revealed to us ultimately the superiority of Christ over all things, over the, the prophets of old, over the, the old covenant, over Moses and Joshua, and over Aaron and the Levitical priesthood, that Christ uh, is our high priest, as we saw last week, of the good things to come. And as long as Jesus is seated next to the Father at the Father's right hand as our high priest, he is ensuring good things coming to you. Not only just the goodness of heaven itself and eternal life, but good things now in this earth. The scripture says that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us and dwells in us and quickens our mortal body. That is, brings life to our mortal body, that which is subject to death. So even right here and now, there are good things, even in this mortal body, for you to experience and for you to come into because your high priest Jesus is seated next to the Father. Can I get a good amen tonight? So that's why we do not settle for less than good, because what is good comes from God. And we want what He has for us and only that. You might be in the middle of a situation right now that is not good. Let me encourage you tonight, that is not the final outcome. Amen. All right, that is not the final outcome. And if you'll put your trust in the Lord tonight, and if you'll confess his word over your life and talk about your high priest who is there to ensure the good things in your life and welcome it into your life, because not only is our high priest of the good things to come, but he's also the high priest of our confession. He's watching over what you say, and he is honoring that. He's bringing that to the Father, what you're saying, the high priest of your confession. What is it that you're saying about him tonight? He is Lord of your life. He is your Savior. He is your Deliverer. He is your Redeemer. He is your Healer. Amen. He's the one that supplies all of your needs according to his riches and glory. Amen. That he has reconciled you. He has washed away all of your sins. Amen. He has made you righteous because he became sin. Amen. And you are blessed and highly favored of God. Blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Pardon me as I just vomit good things tonight. Hebrews chapter 10, we must get into this tonight, and we're going to start in verse 1. Are you ready? For the law, having a shadow, say shadow, having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. Now again, I'm reminding you what he's speaking of. And he's speaking of the Levitical priesthood and the sacrifices for sin that God required of men because they sinned. And the wages of sin is what? Death. So they were seeing that because they sinned, then this animal died in their stead. Uh, and there had to be death and there had to be the shedding of blood or there would be no remission or removal of sins. And so... Uh, God would forgive the people based on each sacrifice. His forgiveness was conditional, conditional upon, conditioned upon their sacrifice of that animal. All right? So when they offer that sacrifice, then he would in turn offer forgiveness until the next time. 
and then the next time, and then they'd have to do this again and again. And these priests were there as uh, uh, overseers and administrators of this sacrificial system. Uh, sacrifices that went out from morning until night. There was a lamb that was slain in the morning and, and one that was slain in, at twilight. Every day, every day, every day, and for the sins of the people, and then once a year, remember the high priest would go behind what was called the second veil to offer the, uh, that blood offering onto the mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant for the sins of the whole nation, uh, and then to con he would confess the sins of the people for his own sins as well as for the people. So this says that the law was, ha it was having a shadow of the good things to come. A shadow of the good things to come. Well, what was, what was it shadowing? It says the good thing. What are those good things? Well, the, the good things to come were forgiveness of sins. Yeah. Redemption. Amen. Through blood. Uh, there are many dear Christians who, who love and the, they delight in the Word of God. Uh, and they, but they insist on detailed study of the Old Testament types and shadows to explain the amazing grace that we are enjoying today. Uh, even many of our teachers are so governed by Old Testament typology uh, as to permit, therefore, no entrance of New Testament truth, uh, except as explained or defined through the Old Testament types. But this first verse here in chapter 10 uh, flat out denies types and shadows as the thing that these people make them out to be. Because you cannot explain new covenant through Old Testament means. All right? You explain Old Testament types and shadows through the new covenant means. All right? Uh, the, the law had a shadow of the good things to come, the scripture says, but not the very image of those things. The Greek word for, for uh, shadow here. I'm sorry, for images here is icon, E-I-K-O-N, icon, which is, it's like a good statue or a photograph that reveals features and facts uh, accurately. Interesting. A shadow can't do this, though. Uh, a, a tree casts a shadow and, on the ground, and you see uh, its general shape from the shadow, but there's no way that you could make out like the foliage of the tree, you know, the, the leaves and, the, and even the blossoms and the fruit, because it's just a shadow. It cannot reveal the actual image of the thing. Uh, so someone who tries to turn these shadows that it's talking about, the shadows of the, which are of the law, into images, tries to turn the shadow into images, they find themselves bound under the spell of those things. Did you hear what I said? Those who try to turn what is a shadow into an image, they are bound under the spell of that thing. Uh, and you can't make, uh, a, uh, he reverses things then, judging facts by shadows. Judging facts by shadows. And shadows can't do that. They cannot do what the very image can do. The image is important. You know, we're all created in the shadow of God. Or the image of God. In the likeness, we look like Him. Who has a grandmother that's still alive? You have a grandmother that's still alive? Uh, Alex, if you were to come over to my house one day, which is kind of normal for you to come over to my house, and, and uh, 
you saw him, you went out to the garage and there I was throwing darts in the garage. And I was throwing darts at a picture of your grandmother. <laughs> How are you going to feel about that? And make me sad. Make you sad and maybe mad. You'd probably want me to stop throwing darts at the picture of your grandmother, right? Why? Because that is the image, the express image of your grandmother. It's like it's, I'm actually throwing darts at her. That's how you would feel about that, right? The image is the expression. Jesus said, or the, the scripture says that Jesus is the express image of God. Amen to us. So the law could only cast the shadow. So it wasn't the fullness of Christ. It wasn't the, the whole picture. They were out, all throughout the old, the old covenant, all throughout the Old Testament, we see little types and shadows, but they can never fully explain or grasp the substance of Christ. Just little pieces here and there. Amen. Uh, jump over to Colossians for just a moment. We're going to take a break from Hebrews 10, and we're going to go to Colossians chapter 2 um, and verse 16. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. So let no one, we're going to read 16 and 17. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths. Some of these things, some of these things are Jewish practices and some of these things are pagan practices he's talking about. Some of these things are Jewish practices and some of these things are pagan practices. Let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon, or Sabbaths. Let no one judge you. Oh, that's, that'll set you free, won't it? Huh? That'll set you free. So put your Halloween co costume on and go get candy. <laughs> amen. And all the kids say, oh, they're not in here. I would have had a really good amen if they were still in here. Watch, which are, verse 17, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. So the one who cast these shadows has come. <laughs> He's been revealed. Jesus, Paul said it was a mystery that was hidden throughout the ages. It was only found in types and shadows. But now the mystery has been revealed, and that is Christ in you. Glory to God. Christ in you. You have the substance. So don't let people judge you in shadows. Yeah. Amen. Why would, I, why would I, you get caught up in looking at shadows when you've got the very substance living on the inside of you? When he has come. Amen. You already have the real thing. Verse 2, Hebrews 10. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. Now, this helps us understand what the true meaning and the effect of the Levitical sacrifices was. This helps us understand. The purpose of these sacrifices, my family, was not to remove sin. 
That's not why it was there. The purpose of those sacrifices was a reminder, not a removal. All right? And all it would do, all it could do, what could produce is a sin consciousness. A reminder of their sins again and again and again and again. A reminder of their failures again and again and again and again. Now what is incredible to me is on this side of the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, there are Christians living with a sin consciousness. Treating his blood like just one more animal sacrifice. Seeing it as just a common everyday thing when no, no, no. Uh -uh. Far superior. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. There you go. It couldn't take them away, but it could sure help the people remember their sins. All right. Let's stop right there. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. I'm going to help you get free tonight and uh, learn some things about maybe some new things or be refreshed again in the power of the blood of Jesus and the glory of his sacrifice. 1 Timothy chapter 4, and we're going to look, read verses 1 and 2. David, thank you for... Uh, being ready with that. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Now, I've heard it said, and maybe you have too, that if you continue in, in a lifestyle of sin as a Christian, you come to a certain place where your conscience is seared and no, no longer are you able to come back to the Lord. I was taught that when I was in youth group. I guess our, our youth pastor was always trying to keep us saved, right? Keep us living right. So he just dangled us over hell however he could just to keep us living right for God. And so he would say things, don't, you can stray so far. And when you get out there, you get outside of the grace of God. And, 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 and then before long, you've calloused your mind so much in your heart that, that it's like a, it's, a it's, it's cauterized and it's cut off then from the grace of God. And, and now, now you're hopeless. But this doesn't talk about people who are out there, you know, in sin, it says that, that, that there are those who depart from faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy. What he's talking about are false teachers, all right? People who teach anything other than the gospel of Christ, all right? They give heed to these doctrines of demons. Listen, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Now watch this. The Greek word, the Greek definition for hot iron Check this out. To mark by branding, to brand, branded with their own consciences whose souls are branded with the marks of sin, who carry about with them the perpetual consciousness of sin. Now, this is what the doctrine of demons produces, my family. This is what deceiving spirits produce. 
Someone who carries about in them a continual consciousness of sins. And in that, saying that Christ's blood did not take away all my sins. Because if you believe in his sacrifice, your consciousness of sin should no longer exist. But when you think about you, and when you think about all the stuff you've done, and all that kind of stuff, you dwell on that kind of stuff, guess what? You bear in yourself the marks of sin. That's what the doctrine of demons is. It's really about self-righteousness. That's, that is the doctrine of demons. Self-righteousness. It's not necessarily going out and worshiping the devil himself, right? It's, it's getting focus on self and a performance mentality that I can maintain my own righteousness by doing good. And if I do this and I do that, then, then I can maintain what God has given me and make good use of it and therefore stay in good graces with God. You're hopeless if you think that way. You're only setting yourself up to sin again and then to continue to keep a consciousness of sin. And as I've said before, we've taken one verse out of context, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, and bring it right into today's living and, and, and act like that we won't be forgiven unless we confess that sin. I'm not saying we, you guys are set free from that. I'm talking about other people that go to other churches. And, right? They, they feel like I have to get right with God. I have to make sure that I get all this so that way, you know, if, you know, something goes wrong, I won't, I won't, uh, there'll be no chance of me missing heaven. This, this, I'm, I'm sad to say this is a common belief in, in, in churches, in Christians' lives. And all they've done is taken the old sacrificial system of what the animals could do, what they could produce, which was nothing, but a reminder of sins and trade continual confession of sins in, in its place. Living their life like Jesus' blood didn't cleanse them from all sins. It's going to take that plus my continual confession of sins. That way, we're in partnership for my righteousness. And that doesn't set anybody free. That does not give you the victory ever. It keeps you coming back to that same old way over and over again. And if you've sinned, which is hard for me to imagine... Anybody from this church ever doing that? But let's just, let's just go out there on a limb and pretend like it would happen here, all right? It would happen in any of your lives. That to go uh, to uh, you sin, what, well, well, what do you do? I have people ask me that. Okay, well, what do I do if I sin? I tell them, stop. <laughs> just stop sinning. How about that? Imagine that. What do you mean? What, did, did Christ die for your sins? Did he die for your sins? Did he die for your sins? Won't you just say, Christ died for my sins. See, this is a good confession to have. The moment you sin, you say, Christ died for my sins. Matter of fact, it means to say the same thing. When you confess your sins, it means to say the same thing that he does. It does not mean to ask for forgiveness as we've been duped into believing. The word confession is the word homologeo, and it means to say the same thing. To agree with. Wow. To agree with. To confess. That is to say the same thing that God has said about your sins. What has he said about your sins? You're forgiven. You're redeemed. You're accepted. Your sins are washed away. I will 
cast your sins as far as the east is from the west, and I'll remember them no more. That's what God has said. Are you going to agree with him? Are you going to go back, bring yourself back under that old way of thinking and go, no, well, well, I just feel good if I confess all my wrong. I just feel, it makes me feel right. You walk by feelings or walk by faith? Hmm? I know the feeling, but it doesn't bring change. That feeling is but for a moment. Amen. This is preaching good. This is good preaching. This is real good preaching. Amen. Because if we take our focus off Jesus, then we just become one more religion, one more religious person. He must be exalted in our life. The finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ is superior to everything. Amen. Amen. So what he's teaching us here is that this doesn't even commit. This only produces sin consciousness and cannot make you pure. All right, verse 5, we've got to keep moving. Hebrews 10, 5. You understand that your, your, your confession, the right confession, the right confession is so vital for your life. Ultimately, your, your tongue leads your life. It guides your life. It, your, your body, your everything follows what's coming out of your mouth. And your, what's coming in your mouth is an expression of the belief that's in your heart. All right? Uh, can we, one more place, David? <laughs> Matthew chapter 12, I told him, ah, we're not going to really get out of Hebrews tonight. Hebrews, uh, or Matthew chapter 12, let's look at verse, verse um, oh gosh, come on, Eric, think about it. Matthew 12. Uh, 36. 36 and I think maybe 37. 36 and 37, Matthew 12. Yeah, that's it. Okay, but I say to you that every idle word men may speak, they will give account of, of it in the day of judgment. Verse 37, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be... This is powerful, isn't it? By your words you will be justified. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus... And believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. Guess what? You will be justified. You will be saved. Amen. So everything that you say about your life, you'll either be justified or by your words, you'll be condemned. And if you are married, you know that to be true right now. <laughs> by your words, you'll be justified. By your words, you will be condemned. Don't amen too loud, Eric. Now, in 1886, uh, there was a man by the name of Walter George who broke the world record for the mile run. He ran it in four minutes and 12 and three-quarter seconds. That's fast. Uh, in 1923, uh, a man by the name of, uh, last name Numi, set a new record running the, the mile in four minutes and 10 seconds. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. It took 36 years to shave off two seconds. And that record would stand for 31 years. Uh, in the 1930s, there were two men in the, uh, living in Middlesex, uh, England. Both of them were diagnosed with the same disease by the same doctor uh, in the same hospital. And that disease would cripple them to never walk again where they would end up confined in a wheelchair, to a wheelchair, 
the, the rest of their days. Two men, same hospital, same doctor, same day, same diagnosis. So when he gave him this diagnosis, one of the men just simply accepted what the doctor had said, accepted the diagnosis, and was soon confined to a wheelchair. But the other man did not so readily accept that doctor's diagnosis. As a matter of fact, he said, not only will I walk, I will run. And it was a long, sad story of, of many thousands of attempts to get out of that wheelchair only to fail time and time again. But he kept trying, and he kept trying, and he kept saying, not only will I walk, I will also run. Not only will I walk, I will also run. Finally, finally his body began to unlock. And before long, Roger Bannister started walking. And it was just a matter of time that he eventually was running. And history records that on May the 6th, 1954, in Oxford, England, Roger Bannister broke the mile record. Not only did he break the mile record, but he also did it in 3 minutes and 59.4 seconds. Now, you have to understand this. It was believed at that time that no one, no one would ever run the mile in less than four minutes. Nobody believed it could happen. So the odds were completely stacked against this man. Not only did he have to overcome his own body, uh, as well as now this long-standing belief, this long-standing consensus by the many of the impossibility to breach that four-minute mile. When Roger Bannister accomplished this, this great feat that year, something happened to the other athletes in the world. It had been tattooed on everybody's minds that no one could breach that four-minute mile. So many years, it, it had passed year after year, and everybody still believed it's impossible, it can't happen, no one could do it, but Roger did. And that tattoo was finally removed from the minds of these athletes. And in the next four years, my family, the next four years, 25 runners broke that four-minute mile. On July 7th, 1999, in Rome, Italy, a man by the name of Heichem L. something. If you speak in tongues, you can come close to saying to his name just by uttering things of the Spirit. He was from Morocco. In 1999, he set a new world record, which stands today at 3 minutes and 43 seconds. The doctor who had given the diagnosis to Roger, he examined him and said, you absolutely had this disease and should not even be able to walk, much less become the fastest man in the world. <laughs> but you overcame it. The other side of the story is, the doctor also examined the other man who was in that same hospital on the same day, and he told him, I am so sorry. You were misdiagnosed. You never had the disease. You've been confined to your wheelchair because you simply accepted my diagnosis. You will be justified by your words, or you will be condemned by your words. So that's why it's important for you to get the right confession in your mouth so that you can have the right experience. Because anything is possible to those who believe, to those who believe and who will confess their belief.
Christ died for my sins. I'm not paying for one more. I'm not, I'm not going to wallow in guilt and shame one more day. I'm not going to feel like I have to do something. Christ did it all or Christ did none of it. But he said it is finished. So the work is finished. So I am determined I'm going to have a righteous consciousness, not a sin consciousness. Amen. Great story, huh? Now, Hebrews 10, 5. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. So God's the one who set up this system, isn't he? But it wasn't a system that he desired. It wasn't the ultimate. It wasn't a system that pleased him. Those sacrifices never pleased him. As a matter of fact, they became, bless you, or bless us. You're the one that sneezed. Thank you. They became putrid to God because that's all the relationship with him developed. I mean, that's as far as it went, was just this continual offering, offering, offering of sin, offering of sin. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? But God was looking forward to that joyful day when his own son would take care of this once for all. Jesus said, but a body you prepared for me. Verse 6, in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. Verse 8, previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. Did you notice that? That means the other thing was not his will. The old system was not his will. Jesus said, I've come to do your will. Amen. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. First what? The first sacrificial system. They may establish what, what system? His once for all sacrifice. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. How? Once. Come on, shout once for all. Once for all. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. The tireless Never enough, never satisfied system of the law. And their work is never done. But this man, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, how long? Forever. Sat down at the right hand of God. This priest said, the work is done. I'm taking my seat. Glory to God. Hallelujah. And let me tell you something. When he sat down, guess who else sat down? You did. Because the scripture says that you are seated with him in heavenly places. Hallelujah. When he sat down, you sat down. When Jesus rested, so did you. Amen. Glory. It's done. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Anybody being sanctified in here? Yeah, we are sanctified, and yet we're being sanctified, and we're perfect all at the same time. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us, for after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds, thank you, Jesus, I will remember no more. No longer is he calling to mind. God is not keeping things in the back of his head. 
right? He's not keeping your wrongs in the back of his head and, and just waiting for you to do one more. You know how we get with each other. Somebody's wronged you more than once. Somebody's wronged you twice, three times, and they continue to, and they come and say, I'm sorry. You still got it in the back of your head that it's probably going to happen again. Right? So you have this expectation then. You have this expectation that they're going to disappoint you again. You have this expectation they're going to let you down. And this can, uh, the, the, the places we see this most is in the home of the husband and wife. You always do that. I knew you were going to do that. I was expecting failure on your part. Why should I expect anything less? This is what you always do. Y'all got way too quiet just now. <laughs> right? And so we sometimes, when we think of God and the way he thinks toward us, we think of him in our terms just a, a little bit better. <laughs> He's so much better. He doesn't treat us that way because he doesn't count your sins against you. God does not expect you to fail. He's made you the righteousness of God in him. He expects you to live righteously. He's not expecting failure on your part. It's not what he's looking forward to. It's not what he's anticipating. So he doesn't have your sin in the back of, your head, in the back of his mind is what I'm saying. It is gone. It is gone. He can't recall it. He won't recall it. Because his son paid for it. Once for all. Praise God. And if you won't recall it either, you'll get set free. You'll get set free. I mean, how many times? How many times do you got to say you're sorry over and over again before you finally figure out, I got to stop doing this. I got I to gotta think differently here. That's what repent means. So I'm telling you, repent. Stop thinking that way. Amen? Amen. Say this with me. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm not a sinner. I'm a saint. Not by anything that I've done, but by His mercy. He saved me. I am who I am because Jesus made me that way. Are you a new creation? Is that what the Scripture says? If anyone be in Christ, he is a what? What happened to the old thing? What happened to the old thing? What was that old thing? Let's define what that old thing was. What is that old thing? That's the old nature. That's the sin nature. That old thing passed away. And now all things have been made new. Let me ask you a question. If you, are you, do you believe you're a new creation? Now you understand what that means, a new creation. That there's nothing, there's nothing about the old you in that. It's all brand new, right? God didn't just paint you with righteousness. You look good on the outside, but I know who you really are on the inside. No, no, no. He recreated you. Completely transformed you. Completely transformed. It was a miracle transformation. A whole, you got his nature, the righteousness of God. Righteous nature. Old things are gone. How then? How then? How then? How could you ever, ever lose that? How could you ever lose the new creation? If the old thing is dead and gone, how could you ever find it? 
If it's passed away, how could you ever go there again? That means you would have to create that, which you can't create that. Only God can create that. So you're stuck in this new creation. So you might as well embrace it because you're going to be in it for the rest of your life. So enjoy it. Enjoy being righteous and holy and above reproach. You might as well accept it because that's what he made you to be. Amen. Amen. So you can't ever go back. I like to say it like this. My religious friends hate when I say stuff like this. You're going to heaven whether you like it or not. <laughs> okay. I'm just having fun now. All right. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us after he had said before, this is the covenant. Okay. No, 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 no. Therefore, brethren. No, no, no. I'm going to stop right there. Oh, we have to stop there because 19... Now, where there is remission of these, verse 18, there is no longer an offering for sin. So that means that since your sins have been removed and forgiven, there's no more necessity of a sacrifice. That's why I'm saying your confession of sin won't do it. Confession, confession of sin doesn't, doesn't make you right with God. You're already right with Him. Through faith in Him. Amen. I hope this has blessed you tonight. Hallelujah. Let's pray for a moment. Lord, we, we love you. We bless you. We thank you. Thank you for the freedom that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that your blood truly washed away all of our sins. Every rotten, nasty, perverted thing we've ever thought or done, you, you, Lord, have taken it away. The old us is no longer around. It's gone. It's passed away. And now here we are living in this new creation, new covenant reality. Help us, Lord. Help us, God, to think like this. Help us to think according to your word that we are the righteousness of God in Christ. Righteousness is not, is not born out of our attempts. It's born out of your death, burial, and resurrection and our faith in you. You're the only one that can save us. You're our only hope, Jesus, for everlasting life. It's all you. And you have welcomed us into this glorious gospel, into this glorious salvation by believing fully in you. We thank you that the work is accomplished, that it is finished. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.